Hi everyone and welcome to the Virtual Cafe. It's your girl Shagilola Salami. It's a nice winter day in London. The weather is dull and grey. I'm sipping my nice hot chocolate at my nice hot chocolate. And my little girl, see she's like, she's three years old now and she's literally wanting to be more active. So little human, are you going to say hello everyone? Hello everyone. How are you everyone? How are you everyone? See you later everyone. See you later everyone. Great, so who have I got here with me today? Hello, I am Colton Flick. I am recording from Raleigh, North Carolina, and I am one of 12 creative producers of the show The Magical History of Knox County, which is a new audio drama podcast. Audio drama, that's quite interesting. Um, you know, because I think the other day someone came on the show and was talking about um, audio dramas. It's not particularly one that I am familiar with, but before I even quiz you about it, you know, where are my manners? What can I offer you today? You see, my kitchen is a very futuristic one. You think Star Trek type kitchen, right? Anything you can imagine, you can get it. So what would you like to drink? Uh, well, I'm, I'm kind of a child when it comes to drinking coffee. I cannot drink black coffee to save my life. So I'll take a hot chocolate if that works for you. <laughs> That's perfect. How do you like your hot chocolate? I like mine extra chocolatey, extra milky. Um, so how do you like yours? Yeah, that sounds perfect. Perfect. We'll get that. And then what would you like to have with your hot chocolate? We've had co dragon cupcakes. So the frosting was done in the shape of a dragon. And we've had, you know, regular um, sponge cake as well. Because again, my little human turned three recently. So that's what we've got going on. You know, would you like that or would you like something else? Yeah, a dragon cupcake sounds perfect and uh, appropriate for the subject matter uh, once we play our, our episode. Oh, fabulous. Okay, so whilst I will let the little human go and do that, um, so tell me about audio dramas. Right, so audio drama is, uh, sometimes I hear it get called a new media, which is interesting because it's, uh, for a long time, for decades, it was kind of a dead medium that people thought of it as, you know, radio dramas in the 1940s. You had uh, The Shadow, um, the Superman audio dramas, um, X-1, all these radio serials that uh, sort of dominated before TV came along and dethroned them, and then radio kind of fell out of favor as a storytelling medium. And for... Okay. Decades. Uh, that was kind of the case that um, it was, you know, over. Uh, but with the advent of podcasting, people suddenly came back to this and said like, oh, there's so many cool things you can do with this medium uh, and started really working on audio storytelling again. Um, and it's particularly fictional audio storytelling, which is uh, kind of what an audio drama is meant to be. Um, a lot of people think they're very similar to audio books, which is true, and uh, that they are both uh, a fictional narrative told via audio. But an audiobook is in a lot of ways an adaptation, um, that an audiobook is not supposed to be a, an additional or definitive experience. It's supposed to be uh, recounting uh, an existing work, the book. Uh, whereas an audio drama is typically uh, something episodic, uh, told in a, a serial fashion like a TV show, um, made originally for the audio format, and that takes full advantage of audio to tell its story, whether that's by having uh, multiple voice actors or by having uh, sound effects um, by using some aspect of audio to present itself as a radio broadcast or as voicemail messages or something like that. Um, and suddenly this is hugely popular. Uh, the medium has totally exploded. Um, there are shows like The Bright Sessions that have thousands and thousands and thousands of listeners. Uh, Lauren Shippen, who writes The Bright Sessions, uh, was just named one of Forbes 30 Under 30 Media Luminaries. Uh, so audio drama in, in the past five to ten years has really exploded and become uh, a really huge cottage industry. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's, it's really cool to be in. Um, and it's also free entertainment, which I think is amazing that people uh, 
yeah, just putting this out for anybody to listen to at any time. Um, and a lot of people are totally unaware that it's out there. So cool stuff. Oh, good, good, good. I don't even know what to say now because I'm just trying to imagine, <laughs> you know, I will be honest. I mean, I think I might have listened to one radio drama, but it's not something that I've listened to quite a lot. Um, and as an author myself, you know, I found a lot of people talk about audiobooks and how they've really enjoyed the listening experience, um, you know, because you just played and again, it's like a podcast, but, you know, whereas a podcast, you know, sometimes, you know, it's about, you know, having one-to-one conversations or one-to-two, you know, different multiple people, you know, just chatting, you know, here you're literally listening to a drama and whereas, you know, with a TV program, you have the visuals, now you're using your imagination and you have all this you know, audio effects, you know, to, so to speak, you know, it sounds, it sounds truly, truly um, amazing. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. And I think um, the comparison to TV is super apt. I think in a lot of ways, audio drama is filling this cool role where it's uh, sort of like indie TV. Um, whereas not anybody can go out and make a TV show. Anyone can make an audio drama and production value can be super high off the bat. I mean, we made our show that you're going to listen to an episode of for absolutely no money. We had no budget. Um, but because it's audio, there's so much room to say like, yeah, there's going to be a dragon in this episode. Uh, on TV, that would cost thousands of dollars in effects. In audio, um, it's just, you know, another hour of work in the editing. Um, so audio drama has opened this, this huge realm of stories uh, from producers who uh, would not have been able to tell those stories otherwise. Um, very cool stuff going on in this medium. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm actually quite interested to know how you can produce, you know, this fascinating audio drama um, without, you know, with next to no budget. But before that, because you mentioned, you know, you're going to play an audio drama for us. What's the title called? Right. So this is going to be the first episode of our show. It's titled The Magical History of Knox County, and it is about a magical hotspot in rural Ohio. Okay, so we're going to be playing that now in two, three, one second. Can't even count properly. Good evening, listeners. You're listening to another episode of The Magical History of Knox County. If you're a longtime listener of the show, my voice might be a bit unfamiliar. Fear not! Your regular host, Miss Abigail Redwine, should be back soon. In the meantime, I'll be filling in. I'm Mordecai Dogwood, in case you wondered. Speaking of Miss Redwine, she's actually classified as a missing person right now, apparently. I'm sure she's totally fine, but if you happen to have any information regarding her whereabouts please contact us as soon as possible. Anyway, back to business. On the show this week, a naive neophyte's lack of paranormal experience nearly leads them to a watery grave when they wind up getting help from an unlikely source. All coming up right here on The Magical History of Knox County. Full disclosure, the naive neophyte I mentioned earlier is me. Uh, Until I showed up for my first day of work about a week ago, I had no idea this whole magical community existed at all. I never would have guessed that you guys had radio shows. Why did you take a job at a radio show with magic in the name if you knew nothing about magic? (laughs) That's my station tech, Ned Jones, who thinks this whole thing is hilarious. We had this conversation about 20 minutes after I arrived at the station for my first day of work, which shortly thereafter prompted this conversation. Hold on, are you recording this? Which... In fairness, I was, and I acknowledge that that's a little strange. Uh, Listen, between you and me, I'm a little nervous about taking on a job like this. I might be a bit overzealous. Don't tell Ned. Mordecai, I am sitting right here. I know, I was doing a bit. It was for effect, you know? No. 
Anyway, Ned was the only person here when I arrived, so she started to give me a tour of the place. I say started because we didn't get very far. The station, since I'm assuming most of you haven't seen it, is not what I expected. It's a winding network of hallways cluttered with objects and artifacts from a hundred previous stories. The lights in here aren't dim so much as they are soft. This place feels more like the personal study of a very strange individual than it does a radio station. An illusion helped by the fact that it's the only radio station I've ever worked in with a library. I told Ned as much. And how many radio stations have you worked in? I don't see why that matters. Is this your first job? For the record, it's not, but it is a pretty significant step up from my last job. Anyway, that's not super important right now. I was talking about the library. It's small, but packed with books that are strange, to say the least. As Ned and I walked past, I picked out a few titles. Lo, Fearsome Critters of the Lumberwoods, Solomon's Goetia. <laughs> not what I expected from a small-town radio station. I asked Ned about them. They're for, you know, research, stories, the occasional emergency incantation. I laughed at what I thought was a joke, and that's when she broke the news. This show isn't a cult-themed, it's about magic. Real magic. And we're broadcasting to what Ned calls members of the magical community. We're on public airwaves, it's just that, apparently, most people do what I did and wave things like this off as fun fiction or very delusional people. But I can promise you, if there's one thing I've learned in the past week, it's that magic is very, very real. Mordecai, literally every single person listening knows this. It's new to me. No one cares. Tell them a story or do an interview or something. I'm getting to it. Okay. Where was I? Right. Uh, if there's one thing I've learned in the past week, it's that magic is very, very real. Well, two things. Magic is real, and even in the middle of March, the Kokosing River is really cold. But we'll get to that later. At first, I didn't really believe Ned. She didn't seem that invested in my personal beliefs. It was close to closing time when I arrived at the station, and she was already on her way home. Rather than stick around to convince me, she just pointed me towards the station's archives and told me to see for myself. So I did. I combed through hour after hour of tape, and what I found was amazing. Here's a man named Abraham Young talking about goetic demonology. Okay, so this is the sigil of Baal. He's like a toad demon. Now, a sigil like this couldn't summon something into our world. You need a lot more power for that. But it might let someone communicate with them or try to make a deal. Here's a local scientist, I think. Abigail only refers to him as Dividit. Regardless, he's talking about a sudden spate of deforestation on the border with Coshocton County. See the point of impact right by the base of the tree? There's uh, this thick dent right beneath where it cracks. That is a telltale sign of a splinter cat. And these nasty little brutes will take down trees with a whack of their tails. They could clear a forest in an hour with the right motivation. But, uh, well, they're an invasive species, so we'll probably have to track the little bugger down and relocate it. And here's Abigail herself, talking to what I think is a sentient boulder. I'm fuzzy on the details. So, you've been here for how long exactly? Three or four thousand years. Fascinating. Now, if you're an avid listener of the show, I guess you've heard all of that before. But like I said, for me, this is all totally new. I listened to the tapes for a long time. A really long time. In fact, I didn't stop until I heard the front door of the station open. Oh. Hi, Mordecai. Hey, Ned. You forget something? Uh, no. Why? Uh, just wondered why you were back already. Mordecai, it's 7 a.m. Oh. Now, in my defense, this station doesn't have windows. You listen to tapes all night, Mordecai. That isn't normal. Neither is this job. 
Anyway, Ned came in the next morning with a few stories still on the docket that Abigail hadn't gotten around to. Meetings and follow-up interviews. Lots of interesting stuff, but I had an idea of my own. While I'd been looking around the station archives the previous night, I found a few interesting tapes. Here's the first, taken from the station's answering machine on December 6th. Now listen, I sent y'all a letter maybe eight or ten weeks ago, and I sent another one last month, and y'all haven't done nothing. Something's ripped my doctor pieces three times this year, and it sure as heck ain't normal wildlife. I've tried to be real understanding about the circle of life and all, but I'm telling you right now, if someone doesn't help me figure out what's going on, I'm liable to just shoot the damn thing next time it happens. I had no idea what he was talking about. Those letters weren't in the archives, but I looked around a while longer and found them neatly stacked under a paperweight in Abigail's office. Mr. Eckert had contacted us twice. Both letters said essentially the same thing. He lives on the banks of the Kokosing River, and he has a small dock on the water. It has literally no practical purpose. Uh, Mr. Eckert fishes, but not frequently, and it's entirely catch and release. He doesn't boat. The water isn't even that deep. He cares about this thing primarily on principle, as I understand it. He built the dock himself. Uh, about two months ago, something destroyed it, smashed the wood to bits, and made some pretty enormous waves. Mr. Eckert says water hit his bedroom window more than ten yards back from the water. Now, this guy is evidently a very dedicated man who cares very much about the continued existence of this dock. He rebuilt it within a few days. Again, it was destroyed under similar circumstances, with one key difference. This time, Mr. Eckert was on the dock when it happened. It was late at night and very dark out. Whatever smashed the dock was hard to make out. He said it seemed to be about the size of a person, but it came out of the water. Black, shapeless, and kind of blobby. Mr. Eckert couldn't identify it, so he called us in. I told Ned all this. He contacted us twice and Abigail didn't get back to him? Seems like. That's not like her. Unless this guy's, you know, not quite right. Well, this second tape might have something to do with that. I found it in Abigail's office with the letters. It's dated about a month ago, and three days before Mr. Eckert called in... Listen, twits. I want to make one thing very clear. I don't show up in your radio house on Tuesday morning smashing up the place and broadcasting human interest pieces, so you got no reason to show up on my turf, understood? See, I've been talking to some of the boys, and they say you've been snooping around here and recording my private conversations, getting all ready to do a big scoop on Sticky John's operations and procedures. The stick is not okay with that series of events, see? You come back out here. You're going to regret it, Caprice. Wait, hold on. You got here, on your first day, immediately went snooping through the office of a missing person and found a tape where someone threatens them, and you didn't call the police? The timeline doesn't match up. Abigail had a to-do list in her office that mentioned putting this on the back burner on the 17th. It looks like this is just something she didn't get to. And you want to pick up where she left off? With the weird guy who threatened to kill a reporter? It seems perfect. He clearly has something to hide, and it's something Abigail thought was newsworthy. Plus, he's looking for Abigail, and I don't think we really look that much alike. You don't. Great. I've already got an interview scheduled with Mr. Eckerd at his house. This is dumb. You're going to get serial killed. I'll be fine. No, you won't. I'm going to make some calls and see if I can get someone to head out there with you. Okay, sure. They'll have to meet me there. The interview's in half an hour. Ugh, fine. I'll call you on the way and tell you who to look for. Awesome. Thanks, Ned. Thanks, Ned. Alright, so Ned and I got off to a bit of a rough start, but still. It was my first day on the job, I had a great lead on an interesting story, and I just discovered that magic was real. All told, that's a pretty good day, right? Anyway, I was about ten minutes into the drive out to Mr. Eckert's house when Ned called. 
Hello? Mordecai? Speaking. Where are you? I can barely hear you. I think I took a couple wrong turns. My cell signal's not so great. Awesome. Look, I made a few calls. Pretty much no one is free right now, but I found someone who said he could make it. He's not my first choice, but he should be there when you get... Shoot. Drop the call. I couldn't manage to get back up with Ned, but at least I knew I'd have some sort of contact around when I got there. A few minutes later, after a few more wrong turns, I found my way to the Eckerd household. Mr. Eckerd? It's Mordecai. Mordecai Dogwood? I'm with the radio show. But as far as I could tell, no one was home. I kept at it for a while. His car was still in the driveway, so it seemed like he must be home. I could even see a few lights on inside. I checked the backyard, which faced the water, but I didn't find him there either. Things were a bit odd, though. The back door hung open. The yard itself must have been more than ten yards across, but the back porch was still wet, along with the back side of the house. It hadn't rained recently, so it seemed like the only source of water was the river. I looked inside and saw that the lights and TV were still on. And of course, the dock was once again smashed to pieces. As far as I could tell, I was alone out here and now had encountered my second missing person in a 24-hour period. Lucky me, I spotted a man standing upstream talking on a walkie-talkie. I figured he might be my contact, or better yet, Mr. Eckerd himself, so I hopped down a few rocks to meet him. Hey there! I'm Mordecai Dogwood with the Magical History of Knox County. You want some? I'm sorry? You want some? Somewhat. Oh, we got all kinds. We got purple, red, blue, boysenberries. Ah! Uh... Puce will take the lining off your tongue. Guaranteed. I think I'm okay, thanks. I'm gonna go. At this point, it was clear that this was not my contact, and more importantly, that this was the voice of the guy who had called Abigail. I tried to nudge my field recorder out of view. I failed. Hey, buddy. You recording this? You know, I don't like to be recorded. The man ran his hand over a gun holstered at his hip. I was about to make my exit when a voice came from somewhere near my feet. That's a cassette player, Mr. John. A what now? It plays music. We aren't here to record you. So you're buying. I think we have all we need at the moment. Oh, you sure, squat? We just hacked off a fresh batch of Sweet Carolina. Oh, we'll be sure to keep that in mind. Come along, Miguel. The voice you just heard came from a toad. Not just a toad, an enormous toad. The size of a car tire with mottled green skin and big yellow eyes. Uh, He hopped away without another word. My name is not Miguel, but I assumed that he meant for me to follow him. I followed. He didn't seem to be offering an explanation anytime soon, so I got things started. Hey, uh, thanks for the assistance. Uh, Do you know that guy? One might say. Allow me to introduce myself. Toad. Riddle Toad. Nice to meet you. Uh, Mordecai Dogwood, interim host for Magical History. I reached out for a handshake. Unfortunately, being a toad, he didn't have hands. I tried to smooth things over. So is Riddle Toad your name, or your species, or or both? Consider that your first riddle. Oh, are riddles kind of your thing? Consider that your second. Or perhaps your third, since it seems you've found a riddle of your own. The case of the missing interviewee. How intriguing. Your Ned's contact? I spoke with your radio cohort this morning, yes. I have a particular interest in the man with whom we just spoke, so I thought a partnership might be mutually beneficial. Sticky John. Uh, listen, I have him on tape threatening Abigail before she disappeared. I don't think he's involved, but... I'm sure he isn't. I'm fairly confident the man's mother still lays out his clothes in the morning. 
He was no threat to Miss Redwine. He had a gun! <laughs> you clearly never met Miss Redwine. I guess not. Uh, do you know something about Mr. Eckert? No, but I was just speaking with a young raccoon who thinks he might. He saw the man you're looking for heading downriver a few hours ago. If we want to find him, that's our best bet. I definitely wasn't over the fact that I was walking down the riverbank with a talking toad of indeterminate species. Frankly, I'm still not over that. I'm not sure I ever will be. Uh, but at that particular moment, it seemed prudent to accept the help he could give now and ask questions later. We cut through the woods for a moment to avoid another encounter with the stick, then followed the riverbank downstream. Keep your nose to the ground, Chronicler. We need any clue we can get. Quick question. If you talked to Ned already, why did you call me Miguel? To throw that cretin off your scent. He already suspects that you may be surveying his operations. Best if he doesn't know your name as well. They can be powerful things. Got it. Hey, I got service again. Silence your cellular phone, Chronicler. This is a stealth operation. Sorry. Hello? Do you know someone named Miguel? Why? Because someone just left this message at the station. What, you think Sticky John is stupid? You think I'm some kind of big dummy like I'm some kind of wizard of scarecrow Oz with no brains and nothing? Well, I'll tell you what, Miss Radio. I'm going to track down your little pal Miguel and shoot him full of Swiss cheese holes. Who's going to be dumb then, huh? Oh, yeah, that's probably me. Riddle Toad used it as a codename. Oh, good, you've met. Yeah, he's kind of cool. Sure. Remember when I said you were going to get serial killed? Vaguely. Don't get shot! On it. It sounds as though we should make haste. The hour of our death may be close at hand. Riddle Toad and I double-timed it as stealthily as possible down the river. My car was in the other direction, but with a rifle-toting madman between us, I figure it was better to run. After about 30 yards, Riddle Toad noticed that I was slowing down. Chronicler, I recognize the importance of searching the area for potential leads, but I believe the circumstances call for all deliberate speed. <sighs> Sorry. I got distracted for a second. Are fish seasonal? Pardon? Like, do they come and go based on the season, like birds? Not the average fish, as I understand it. Huh. Would you care to elaborate on your line of thinking? Mr. Eckert said he fished off his dock sometimes. I don't see any fish in the water. Curiouser and curiouser. How does one remove all the fish from a river? No clue. I don't believe one does. They'd come back eventually. Unless there was something preventing them from doing so. Maybe the same thing that made Mr. Eckert disappear. Perhaps. I can't help but notice that the trees in the area seem to be splashed with water far higher than they should be. I wonder what that could be. Come out, come out, wherever you were. Do you hear that? I believe we may want to continue running. Do we have a destination in mind? I know a safe house a few miles down the river. You have a safe house? Mm, more of a safe hole. We'll be able to get some information at the very least. Riddle Toad hopped into the woods in what seemed like a very deliberate direction. I followed. Before long, we came to a clearing in the woods. Follow my lead. What? Halt! Who goes there? It is with great reverence that we tread upon your hallowed, hollow ground, my liege. We seek safe passage. Is that... is that a mole? I am. I told you to follow my lead. Can every animal in this county talk? No. 
My colony was imbued with sentience by the lowest, the all-powerful spirit of creation that dwells in the dirt beneath our feet. I have no idea why Riddletoad can talk. Few people do. Can you explain that further? Hold on, I want to make sure I get this on tape. We can come back when we aren't being pursued. You're being attacked. Indeed. You may take sanctuary here. We moles abhor violence. Your kindness is boundless. We're looking for a missing man. Might you be able to point us in the right direction? Of late, we felt a great disturbance in that general direction. We are in your debt, dirt mouse. The lowest teaches us to reject traditional notions of transactional exchanges. We help because we are meant to. Oh, awesome. Thanks. Yeah, little piggies. Run! On it! So Riddle Toad and I took off through the woods yet again. I was beginning to regret wearing penny loafers and khakis. Both were splattered with mud, and neither was made for running. I was profoundly uncomfortable. We figured we had limited time that the moles could buy us, and we needed to make the most of it. But it wasn't long before we heard voices in front of us. In his call to Abigail, Sticky John had mentioned a few accomplices. I was worried we might have run across a few of them. We listened carefully. Hey, we've got another order. Who from? Winters again. What's he want? Poisonberry again? He's a consistent man. All right, all right. I'll get the tongs. At least someone wants some. Somewhat. While the two voices seemed preoccupied, I slipped out of the trees to see exactly what was happening, and suddenly found myself face to face with a creature taller than a house. It looked like a giant squid, but covered in rough skin that looked like sandpaper. It would have blended in the banks well if it had been anywhere near them. The whole creature was sitting upright, and it barely fit in the river at all. Only about a third of its height was submerged in the shallow water, and its tentacles splayed out onto either bank. A small dock was constructed facing the animal's back, and the creature was tied in place with a haphazard series of locks and chains. I've never seen a kraken up close before, but I could see in its eyes that this one was sad. I must have gotten a little distracted looking it over, since I didn't hear Sticky John catch up to us. You want some? I did not. I slowly raised my hands above my head, and Sticky John called his compatriots over. One of them was preoccupied. I'm not sure what exactly he was doing, but he was dragging a diving mask, a a pair of tongs, and a burlap sack towards the water. The other person waded across the water and tied my wrists together with a length of rope that had previously been holding their pants up. Riddletoad was nowhere to be seen. How do you like them apples, Mr. Miguel? I decided not to correct him. Either way, he grabbed me by the wrists and dragged me into the woods. I bet your radio friends will pay a pretty telethon penny to get you back safe and sound, huh? I had only known Ned for about a day, but I was fairly confident that the station didn't have any money to pay a ransom with. Even if it did, I'm not entirely sure she would pay it. But on the bright side, being held for ransom was a lot better than being serial killed. I didn't tell Sticky John I wasn't going to earn him much money. He threw me to the ground at the base of a large tree and headed back towards the river. What are you in for? And that was a voice I recognized. Mr. Eckert, is that you? Mordecai! Nice to put a name to a face. I can't really see you. More of a name to a back of a head. Roll over. With considerable effort, I successfully did so. Sorry I missed our meeting, buddy. Got a little sidetracked. Me too. You think that Kraken is what wrecked your dock? Nah. I saw the thing that wrecked it. Much smaller than that. I chased it the whole way down here, then that weird guy with the pump action grabbed me and tied me up. Guess he didn't want me to see whatever it is he's doing with that thing. Well, sorry we didn't really solve your problem. It's alright. At least I had a bit of an adventure. 
Uh, do you think he'll shoot us? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Great. I wasn't really in the mood to talk at that point, so I held off and tried to think of a plan. I told you to silence your phone! Riddle Toad? Shh! From the shadows, Riddle Toad hopped towards us, dripping wet. He shook some of the water off onto our faces. Here. Mordecai, Sticky John says he's holding Miguel for ransom. Is that true? Indeed. Oh, good. It's you. Indeed, once more. Fear not, madam. I have the situation under control. I'm about to initiate a jailbreak. Wait, hold on. Do I need to call Luma? So where have you been? When the Cretan approached, I leapt into the water to avoid being obliterated. Then I swam back to the molehill and bartered for a trowel. Then I swam back here to set you free. Oh. Well, thanks. But that's not important right now. What is important is what I saw. What do you mean? Riddletoad explained as he cut Charlie and I free. The eggs, Mordecai. Every kind of kraken egg. I didn't realize they came in kinds. Oh, they do. Red, purple, blue, boysenberry. Even puce. The river is covered in them. They've set up a farm. That's what Sticky John's been selling? They can have powerful hallucinogenic effects when consumed. I assume he's selling them as some form of imbecilic drug. The thing that destroyed your dock. You said it looked like the Kraken, but smaller. Yep. Maybe one hatched. It might lash out against people, given what's happening to its mom. Krakens raise their own young until they reach maturity. If this one is locked in place, all of its offspring are too. They have nowhere to go, and they've already picked the water clean. They're out of food. All right, I'm free. And we've got everything on tape. Let's go before he comes back. I don't follow. Let's run away now so we can get this tape to someone and get this fixed. No. What? Unacceptable. What do you mean, unacceptable? I refuse to let this creature suffer for the time it will take us to find someone to rectify the situation. Not when we're standing right here. Okay, yeah, but there are three of them. There are three of us? One of us is a toad. And I don't think Charlie's helping. I'd rather not. And they have guns. Riddle Toad glared up at me, his yellow eyes narrowed to slits. Fine. I'll do it myself. What? He hopped off towards the water as fast as he could. I scrambled to my feet and ran after him, trying to keep pace. He beat me to the river. Unhand her, you scoundrels! Oh god, it's the Toad! Not again. Riddle Toad leapt towards the two men on the dock. One of them swung a foot towards him and made contact with a sickening squelch. He went down hard and fell under the water. I had fully planned not to engage in this rescue effort, partially for my own safety and partially because I don't think it's a reporter's job to intervene in situations. It's our job to reflect them accurately. But to be fair, I don't think I could approach this situation without bias regardless. So, Geronimo! I hopped under the water and grabbed the sinking toad. His trowel was somehow still stuck in his front, uh, paw? I took it from him as we rose to the surface. He's got the guy with him. Where's the other one? I had limited time to take advantage of their confusion. So I went for it, using Riddle Toad's trowel to cut the ropes holding the Kraken back as quickly as I could. Once she was free, she did the rest. The Kraken slammed down into the water and started to wriggle downstream. A moment later, she was joined by a much smaller twin. Her child, I assume. I carried Riddletoe to land and set him down. We'll make a hero of you yet, Chronicler. Thanks. What the heck happened to my tall tower squid baby? We should run. Agreed. So, that's how my first day on the job went. All things considered, I think it was a pretty good start.
It wasn't. <laughs> That's a matter of opinion. You almost died. I saved a kraken. You were lucky. Okay, what was I supposed to do? Do the story I had planned. What would Abigail have done? Abigail would have stayed as a stupid kraken. See, that's what the show's about. No, it isn't. Sign off, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the magical history of Knox County. like a truly amazing um, audio audio drama. So talk us through, how did you, you know, what are the basic steps, you know, you took in producing it and how were you able to do that with next to no budget? Sure thing. Um, first off, uh, credit where credit's due. Uh, that episode was written by me, edited by Chris Wilson and myself. Uh, vocal direction was by Chris Wilson and it stars Dylan Gregory, Cora Cole, Sidney Engelstein, Sam Larson, Dakota Curry, and... Uh, oh, Chris Wilson. Um, yeah, that's everyone. Um, <laughs> I'm sure Chris Wilson wouldn't be happy that you almost forgot his name at the end. Oh, I'm sure he won't. Um, in fairness, we have a cast in this series in total of 38 people. Um, so I, uh, have all of this. Wow, written down that's a lot. It is, it's enormous. Um, so, uh, let's talk about sort of how we, uh, built this show, um, from essentially, uh, uh, no budget and, uh, little to no experience. Um, it's uh it's easier than you'd think. Um we got into this, we were uh had a trip to the actual Cocosing River, which if you just listened to that episode, uh sounds familiar. Um this show takes place in rural Ohio and we were actually in rural Ohio when we recorded it. Um Okay, yeah. can you slow down for a second, please? Sure thing. I know I talk fast, right? But oh my god, you're giving me competition. Uh, <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> I it is a, uh... Like a sprint. Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, in, in the recording booth, I actually voice a character in some of the later episodes, um, and 90% of my notes in the recording booth are, uh, that was great. Can you do the same thing, but at maybe a third of the speed? Um, <laughs> oh, uh, just let me know if that becomes an issue. Um, I'll try to, try to keep an eye on it. Um, so, uh, our show uh, had its origins uh, during this trip that we took... Uh, it was me and uh, 12 or 13 of my friends at college um, who went down to the actual Cocosing River um, early in the year. Uh, and we were hiking through uh, this sort of like rocky area where there was this huge divide between uh, one side of the trail and the other all of a sudden. And we weren't really sure what happened. And Chris Wilson just sort of started riffing and telling this random folktale that he made up that he was like, oh, yeah, well, that's where, uh, you know, the giant Unglock was struck down by his brother Farglinkle. Uh, you know, the, the one whose uh, bones made the valleys and whose blood makes the rivers. Um, just completely making this up off the top of his head is like a really weird joke. Uh, and we were all super into it and he kind of kept going and people started adding things. And eventually we were like, hey, it would be really cool if there was a show where we could tell these kind of weird made up folk tales. Um, maybe we could do like a radio show because there's a radio station on campus. Uh, and we kept kind of adding to it and... Uh, coming up with new ideas until it eventually morphed into the show you just heard. Um, so uh, we talked about the idea that I'll just sort of go through the five steps we took to make this show and sort of where it came from. Uh, and also give you an idea of how, if you wanted to make something like this, you could go about doing the same thing. Um, so the first thing you need to do is, is come up with your idea, uh, which for us was this really organic process and really uh, fun and easy. Um, and a really collaborative process too. 
Um, there's a, a complete other end of the spectrum where there are shows like Mabel, um, which is a phenomenal show that I highly recommend that is uh, conceived of, written, recorded, edited, um, and stars uh, one person. Uh, there's someone else who helps, but they are actually intentionally uncredited in kind of a cryptic way. Uh, so there are some audio dramas like ours that are a hugely collaborative process in some way on the other end of the spectrum that are uh, sort of an, uh, an auteur thing. Um, you write it, which uh, I think a lot of the people listening to the show is our authors. Um, so uh, that part is pretty straightforward. Um, although if you are interested in any help with that, there are tons of essays out there. There's a man named Craig Robotham who writes a ton of essays dissecting really amazing audio drama scripts and explaining how you might go about writing them. Um, then you have to cast it, uh, which was easy for us, luckily, because we were on a college campus and uh, about half of us are theater majors. Um, we also cast a lot of people from that main 12 creative staff. Um, for us, we just put up a bunch of posters and said, hey, we're making an audio drama. Anybody who wants to come help out, uh, please do so. Um, but there are tons of other options. Uh, there's a great audio drama community online. Uh, I was able to find people when we did re-records on a website called castingcall.club. Um, and just assemble this huge group of people. Um, and that's really, I think, one of the big deviations from an audiobook. In an audiobook, you write it, and typically there is one person reading. Um, if you're making an audio drama, suddenly you have this uh, elaborate cast um, of voice actors, potentially. There are shows like Alice Isn't Dead, um, which have a, a single voice actor who does 99 or 100% of the show, um, which can also be really cool. Um, we recorded it. We were lucky enough that uh, as part of our zero budget, we were able to record in the actual radio station at our school, um, which was incredibly nice. Uh, we owe an enormous debt to the people who were willing to spend uh, like 30 hours in the studio with us, uh, helping us record. Um, and Chris did uh, audio direction in there too. Um, it was a long, long, long couple days, um, but uh, wound up working really, really well for us. Uh, although while we were super lucky to have that recording studio, um, you shouldn't interpret that as, you know, a, a necessary thing. Um, I know a ton of people who record this on their computer mic or on a, a Blue Yeti for like 70 bucks. Um, there's a great show that just started called Inkworm that is recorded by high school students with uh, no budget to an even greater degree than we had no budget. <laughs> um, and it's doing uh, really well. I, I've seen a ton of people uh, talking about it and giving great reviews. So uh, we edit together, and I think that's really the part where uh, this comes together into something very different than an audiobook. Um, up until now, there are audiobooks that uh, tell a story that have a definitive narrator. There are even some audiobooks that have a, a full cast um, where you know you'll have different people playing every character. Uh, but the thing that really sets an audio drama apart is this sort of world you build around the voices. Um, in our show that you just heard, there's a part where uh, Mordecai wades through a river and sees a kraken. Um, and in an audiobook, you would hear uh, the narration of that happening. Um, but in an audio drama, you hear the sound of the river. You hear him wading through. You hear sort of the comments he makes to himself as he uh, tries to make it through this river. You hear the creaking of the wood where this kraken is sitting. Um, you hear this huge splash as it falls down. And all of that contributes to this larger world. Um, what I think is really amazing about audio drama is that like I said, in TV or film, because most of us uh, came from a theater or film background, um, in those mediums, it would take tons of money uh, and an enormous amount of time to create that on screen. 
in audio drama, uh, it's really, I used uh, like 10 effects. Um, and just it was about layering them, mastering them, sending it out to the rest of the cast, hearing what they thought, bringing it back, and tweaking little bits and pieces. Um, all we started with was the raw vocal track, and everything else is pre-existing sound effects uh, that are used under Creative Commons and just rearranged and rebuilt to build out this whole world. Um, then you release the show and promote it, which is what I'm doing now. Uh, and that's really the fun part. That's when you get to have people listen to your thing and engage with this world, which is really cool. Wait, no. That sounds really um, amazing, though. But so how many points are those? Because you were going to give me five um, basic steps. Because I know you've sort of got, everything's just got all mixed up and I lost track. No worries. Um, so, so to break it down, my five would be, first off, come up with your concept and write it. Second is cast it. Third, record. Fourth is the editing, which is going to take a really long time. And then fifth is just release it and promote it. Um, and release with audio drama is actually a, a really big thing in the sense that in an audio book, you finish the whole book and put it out there and that's it, you're done. Um, with an audio drama, a lot of what you're doing is sort of um, putting this out in, in a serial format where you go episode by episode. Um, some people release one episode every week or whatever um, and build a listenership that's coming back every week uh, looking for new developments in the story and new developments with these characters. Um, which is also one of the amazing things I think about audio drama is that in an audio book, you're sort of releasing um, this whole thing as a defined unit. Even in TV, uh, there's kind of a general trajectory of we know where this is going. Um, if you watch a sitcom, it's going to stay a sitcom for all four seasons that it runs. There's no chance that it's going to suddenly veer off into different territory. Um, in audio drama, that's totally different because it's released in this episodic structure. There's an amazing podcast called uh, Wolf 359 that I highly recommend that begins as kind of a workplace sitcom set in space. Um, and then because it has this week by week release and this engagement with its fan base and these characters grow and change over time, it's become something that is, uh, I, I don't know that I would really call it a comedy anymore. It's, it's very dramatic. Uh, the characters are really well developed and fleshed out and have these really interesting conflicts. Um, and at least I am incredibly invested in the plot and what comes next um, in a way that I would not have guessed from its origins. So I think Audio drama has a, a really cool ability to morph and change with time like that. No, that sounds that sounds truly, truly um, amazing. Um, you know, I think I'm gonna have to go and check out and you know the rest of it. So, if I wanted to listen to the rest of your um, audio dramas, you know, where can I find them? Right. So we are uh, the Magical History of Knox County. We're on iTunes, Google Play, etc. Um, you can also find us at magicalhistorypodcast.com. Um, which will also link you to our Twitter, YouTube, Gmail, et cetera, everything else. Um, yeah, um, I, I hope you enjoy the show, and I hope that you are interested in uh, continuing to listen. Um, no, definitely, definitely. <laughs> so, and it was magicalhistorypodcast.com. Magicalhistorypodcast.com, yeah. And you, uh, if you head out there, you can find, uh, you know, I, I want to give full credit to, uh, I, am, I am one of 12 people involved in this, um, if you head there, you can find uh, profiles on or uh, credits for everybody um, and listen to everybody's episodes. Uh, this has been a really amazing collaborative process, which I think is the coolest part of audio drama. Um, so, so full credit to everybody. <laughs> no, that's that's truly amazing. But it's been a pleasure having you on the show, and maybe you know, sometime in the future, you'll come back again. I would love to. Yeah, uh, anytime. Let me know. <laughs> um, I, I can gush about audio drama for uh, hours and hours. So. 
Perfect. But it's been a pleasure. And until next time, everybody else, um, it's Shekelola Salami on the Shekelola Salami Show. Bye now. Bye.